0: WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com.
1: We're going to take a trip right now
2: like we always do about this time. This is a journey into
0: sound. (laughs) Break it down! I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Rick Espinoza. Rick is a pioneer of Mexican-American music in Indianapolis. He began performing in Indianapolis as a teenager during the 1960s as a member of the band Los Latinos. But throughout his career, Rick has split his time between traditional Mexican music and rock and roll. Before Rick joins me in the studio, let's hear an example. This is a song Rick wrote for his mother, titled Remember Me, off his 2018 debut solo album my life. I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is Rick Espinoza. We just heard a track from Rick's 2018 album, My Life, released under the name Ricky Lee. That was a song Rick wrote for his late mother. And in this first segment, we'll be focusing on Rick's family, particularly his father, Feliciano Espinoza. Feliciano was an important figure in the development of Latin American culture in Indianapolis. Feliciano opened the first Mexican grocery store in Indianapolis, hosted the first local Spanish language radio broadcast, co-founded the Hispano American Center, and promoted Mexican music concerts and cinema. Let's join my conversation with Rick as we look back on the extraordinary life of his father. What brought your family to Indianapolis? Were they born here?
1: My father migrated migrated here back in the late '40s. Yeah, you know, and um, worked start working working with the railroad or start working as a chef. I think he was a chef first because uh, there was a restaurant right on the corner of Pine Street and Market Street. I remember even as a little kid when I was that little, looking down the street to see the downtown area. You know, it wasn't nothing like it was now. But I could barely make out the buildings, and, and they weren't that really that tall was that like they are now. But, um, uh, and we were—my dad, the restaurant was called Zapp's Restaurant. And we lived in like a boarding house or rooming house apartment. It was a small, small apartment, and there were several families uh, that lived there. And um, uh, right across the street in front of us was the restaurant. Right on the corner of Pine and Market Street.
0: What was your parents' background? Where were they from originally? Uh,
1: Mexico. My mom was. Uh, my dad was from Mexico originally. My mother was from uh, Texas. Yeah.
0: What uh, part of Mexico was your dad from?
1: A little town called Cedral in the state of San Luis Potosi (SLP). Okay. Yeah. And um, he was like, um, he was known as a vaque- like a vaquero, rode a-, a horse like a horseman. Man, mm-hmm. he was really good. Um, I even heard a, a man come to me at a bullfight one time and told me, Your dad's, my dad saved his life when he was little and pulled him up from a hell storm, And it was a deadly hell storm because it killed some animals. But he said, I, I, I thought that was an incredible story that the man told me. I go, Are you serious? He told me, Yes. He, he told me in Spanish, you know, he was, Your dad saved my
0: life. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be alive, hmm. or I would have been really hurt bad. Hmm. Yeah, and Rick, in the liner notes to your album My Life, you talk about singing with your dad. Was your dad a musician? Did he like to play music and sing?
1: My dad loved to have barbecues and get-togethers with his friends, and some of them would bring the guitars and the accordion, and they'd go back there. Some of the Latino band. Latino guys from that, from my band and they would come after hours or just hang out in the weekends with my dad and, and he'd have a barbecue and they'd be playing music and my dad would sing you know with him and he loved singing and there were times when me and him together just me on a guitar and him singing, we'd have some fun singing you know and, and brought a lot of memories um, when he uh, got this operation and went something went wrong and he had a massive stroke in the middle of a heart operation. He went, they had to put him in an induced coma and and those were one of the things that i I wished I could do again is sing one more time with yeah, my dad, yeah.
0: so what kind of songs did he like to sing? Do you remember any in a particular?
1: Yeah, they were mostly Spanish songs, but one of them was uh, 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 one of his favorite songs that when he was in the coma, I, I would sing to him all the time and in the morning and the afternoon and the evening before he went to bed and before I went to bed. Um, and uh, it was called El Gorioncillo. It's about a little, like a little lovebird that lost its mate and it would fly up to branches and sing up to the heavens, and to the moon up in the heavens, and to its, uh, to its mate that had passed away. And it's a beautiful ballad, Spanish ballad song.
2: Revoloteando el lido restido. Un gorioncillo, pecho amarillo Con sus alitas casi sangrando Su pajarillo anda buscando Cuando se cansa, se para y canta Y hasta parece que está llorando, luego se aleja y se va cantando, solo Dios sabe si está llorando.
0: That was a clip of Rick Espinosa singing El Gorion Seal here at WFYI. I asked Rick to sing a couple of his father's favorite songs for me, and we'll be listening to another track from that session in just a minute. For now, let's return to our conversation. And Rick, your dad's name was Feliciano? Feliciano, yeah. everybody calling Felix. Felix, yeah. Uh Nicole told me he ran one of the first Mexican grocery stores in Indianapolis, if not the first. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. It was the only one that we ever knew of and, and that my father, even my father said, this is the first Mexican store in Indianapolis. He goes, there's no other store. There's yeah. no other store. And everybody was coming to my father's store. But he told me, my father had a, he had a premonition. He told me, he goes, one of these days, he goes, there's going to be all kinds of Mexican businesses. And I go, really? You know, and he would tell me all the businesses. There're going to be bakeries. There're going to be, there's going to be uh, stores. There's going to be all kinds of shopping centers for cl- like clothes and stuff, and not just groceries. But there's going to be clothing stores and Spanish, you know, run by Spanish people. There's going to be, he he named everything bakeries, and he said everything, all kinds of business. And I go wow, and and he everything he said came true. Everything he said came true. You can go to Belmont in Washington and see all uh, photography studios, travel agents, all all of it's run bakeries, Mexican bakeries, newspapers, stores, newspapers, television, newspaper. radio. Yeah, I worked for the newspaper for a while, La Hola Latino. Mm-hmm. I worked with Edifonso Carvajal, you know, and, and I was one of the reporters. I got to interview um, uh, Congresswoman Julia Carson, and and that's a picture. I got a picture of her in the
0: book with me, and. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, did, uh, I did a little bit of yes, everything. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, what was the name of your family's grocery store, and where was it?
1: It was on the corner—oh, well, one house off the corner of Davidson and North Street, just um, just east of Davidson. And what was the name of the store? El Nopal Food
0: Market, which means the cactus food market. In what years was El Nopal in operation?
1: I believe it was around 1960 through 67 because around 68, the highway was written. They were tearing all the houses down. And, I mean, my dad held out to the, the longest. And you could you could stand on New York Street and look all the way down where the—I mean, all the way back, probably five blocks— Everybody's house was completely leveled and nothing. You could see nothing but my dad's house. Our house was sticking out over there. And it just, you know, finally we finally moved. But uh, we stood out the longest. There was nobody else there. Everybody was gone. Mm. And we had to go. I mean, a lot of the Hispanic families, there was probably six or seven Hispanic families that, were, that lived in that section. Poor 65 went through. And when they went through, everybody just scattered all
0: over. It was like an explosion. Everybody went to replace. Did, did your dad reopen after the? No. Yeah. Well,
1: he had. I think he had a. Uh, he opened a stand at the city market for a while, and and everybody was doing their own thing. By that time, we were uh, either going in the military or, or um, uh, just in music or just doing different things. Everybody had, you know, different things that they want to do. They didn't want to follow, and they should have. But you know, it was everybody has their choice of in life what they want to do, and. Um, um, I I to this day I regret not not following up in my dad's footsteps with the store. He wanted me to run to help, you know, pick up where he left off, you know, with the store, and I regret not having that. If I had my life to do over again, I would I would have done the store thing that we'd be a big conglomerate, come business right now. Yeah. Because we were the first that were there, we were we'd have I mean we were making really my dad was making really good money doing real good. And he did all that while he was working with the railroad, you wow. know. I wow. mean, the bakery, the piñatas, the, 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 you know, cooking. And, and then he'd load up the uh, the van and take it out to all the migrant camps, Tipton, Converse, Elwood, Trafalgar, uh, you know, Kokomo. I mean, you name it. There were Anywhere there were migrant camps, and they were all over the state of Indiana, we were going out there. I would go early in the morning with my dad, and we'd come late
0: at night, you know. And uh, he did really—he made a killing. He took the store to the people. And, Rick, you mentioned your dad had this premonition of uh, the explosion of the Latin American population in Indianapolis. But looking back to the 50s, 60s, and 70s, describe to me what the Latin American or Mexican-American community was like here. It was a pretty small community at that point, right?
1: It, it was a small community. It was slowly building up. We had our festivals. We had our dances uh, at the, at the uh, what used to be the Pow club. And then the, the Catholic Church donated it to my father's organization and uh, became the Hispano Center. And um, and then um, I think bureaucracy started uh, taking place, you know. Uh, the city wanted them to turn it into, uh, instead of just a Hispano Center, a Hispano multi-service center. My dad was for the people, and he, he did everything for the people, uh, for the family and for the people,
0: you know of Indianapolis. Let's pause and listen to another recording of Rick Espinosa performing here at WFYI. We'll hear his version of the classic Mexican bolero, Sabor a Mi. This is
1: a song that's uh, probably one of the most famous songs in uh, all of Latin America. It's been around since back in the 40s, I believe. And um, it's called Sabor a Mi. And um, uh, I loved this song even as a little boy, and I, I didn't even know what they were saying, but I loved the music and the melody of it as a child. And um, I once heard my father sing it, and even though he didn't know all the words to the song, he improvised some of the words, and he sang it all the way through for my mom. And I always thought that was the coolest thing, and that and stayed in my mind all my life. I never did forget that. And um, so... When I got old enough to to actually s- start singing and playing guitar, that was on the, on my bucket list to learn that song because it was uh, left so many good memories in my mind um, of seeing my father sing it, and I've even sang it with my father, so uh, at barbecues and cookouts and stuff. But um, this song is called
2: da-da-da-da Tanto tiempo Desfrutamos De este amor Nuestras almas Se acercaron Tanto así Que yo guardo tu sabor, pero tú llevas también sabor a mí. Si negaras mi presencia en tu vivir, bastaría con abrazarte y comenzar. Tanta vida yo te di, que por fuerza llevas ya. Sabor a mi, no pretendo ser tu dueño. No soy nada, yo no tengo nada más de mi vida. Todo lo bueno, soy tan pobre que otra cosa pueda dar. Pasaremos de mil años y muchas más nuestras almas se acercaron. Tanto así que yo guardo tu sabor, pero tú llevas también sabor a mí. ser tu dueño No soy nada, yo no tengo nada más de mi vida doy lo bueno Soy tan pobre que otra cosa pueda dar Pasaremos de mil años Y muchas más Nuestras almas se acercaron, tua así que yo guardo tu sabor, pero tú llevas también sabor a mí.
0: I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is Rick Espinoza a pioneer of Mexican-American music in Indianapolis. We just heard Rick performing Sabor a Mi, recorded live here at WFYI by engineer Adam Gross. Let's return to my conversation with Rick as we discuss his roots in the Indianapolis music scene. Rick began performing music in Indianapolis as a teenager during the 1960s as a member of Los Latinos one of the first professional Mexican bands in Indianapolis. And Rick, when did you get involved in music? Because you were making music as a a youngster with Los Latinos, right? That group started when you were probably just a teenager. I'll
1: tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened. I had a natural knack for tap dancing, but I wasn't a big tap dancer. I mean, I was was getting this beat with my feet, and I would be sitting down, and I got in trouble so many times at school that one day I got I got I got warned, and then I couldn't help it. I started doing the tap dancing. And I just couldn't stop it. It's like stop it, you know. You're telling your feet to stop, you know, and they keep doing it, you know. And uh, they send me home. They send me home. And, and uh, when my mom told my dad that they sent me home because I was tap dancing my feet. My father, I thought, was going to give me the beating of my, of my life. I thought he was going to give him spank me and whip me and chase me around the house because I knew he'd be really mad. But instead, he got me in a car, and he took me to Arthur's Music Store. And he he said, come on. And I was wondering, what he's what's he doing here, you know? And I remember Mr. Arthur back then and and greeting him there, and he greeted us, you know. And and then my dad took me straight to where the drums are. He said, all right, pick a set of drums. And I said, really? And he says, pick one out now. So I picked out this Royal, white, pearl, Royal drum set. And I thought he was kidding me, you know. And he paid for it. And we loaded it up and brought it back in the station wagon. And he said, now listen, if I ever hear that you got in trouble tap dancing again, I'm going to sell your drums to somebody. And that took care of my, my tap dancing <laughs> habit. I never tap dance again. It never happened. I became a drummer. I took all the drum beat and put it into the drums. And within a week, I was playing for a, a grown band, Los Latinos. Yeah.
0: How, how old were you when you got the drum set?
1: I was just in this, uh, I think,
0: seventh grade.
1: Wow, I was just in the 11, seventh 12 grade. years old, yeah. somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And right away, you were recruited into this group Los Latinos. Yeah. Tell me about this band. Within a week and yeah. a half
1: or two weeks, I, I was. This these guys says we we need a drummer and and uh, you got the drums, you know, and so we start rehearsing in my house and we start playing the music, the accordion, and I was I was familiar with the music, so you know, it came real easy, you know. So that's how I became the drummer, and we, we played for almost nine years, you know, playing playing the drums. Yeah, I was all talking. the festivals and all the dances, the weddings, even my sister's wedding reception. Uh, um, we we played at, you know, a lot of parties and stuff. You know, it was a lot of fun. From
0: what I've seen in my research, the band stretched from at least 1964 to 1975. Those were the earliest and latest mm-hmm. dates I could find information on. Did you join in 64, or was it a little later on?
1: No, actually, the uh, uh, in 64, uh, let me see. There was um, they had uh, they had other bands that were. Are you talking about just just Latinos? Yeah, los Latinos. Yeah. Uh, they had they had other guys that were there, but them guys were just like, almost seasonal. They were there one time, and then they were gone. And so they couldn't depend on it, some of these guys that were just migrant workers with a drum set, and they were just leaving, you know. Um, and some of the guys just, that was all the work they were doing whenever they had a dance, and they needed a real job. And sometimes the job took them away, so they, they couldn't depend on them. So they could depend
0: on me when it came time came to it. I assume Los Latinos, you were playing, like, uh, Nortenio music, what were you yeah, playing? Yeah, yeah,
1: we played Nortenio music, uh, uh, Tex-Mex music, you know, uh, Mexican, basically Mexican music too. Um, uh, polka, a lot of polkas, and what they call boleros and, and cumbias, you know. Wow. Uh, and uh, wapangos, or- what they call wapangos, you know. And it had that had a different beat. You know, and. Just uh, we played it all, and and I got to learn from these guys. They were telling me how they wanted the beat, and I would do the beat and start the beat, and then there we go. And then they start
0: playing the music. That's it. That's it. Was it exciting for you at that age to join this group and be playing out in in uh, social halls and restaurants and things? Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. As a matter of fact, back in those days, there was a place where all the big stars were going, and it was called the Whiteland Barn.
0: Right. A and, lot of rock and roll bands were yeah, there. Yeah, yeah.
1: All the big superstars were going there. And then we got a gig there. on a, They were having some kind of a Spanish festival. All the food was going to be Spanish, and the decor and the, and the dress code was dressed Spanish and just that style, you know, and they wanted a, a Hispanic band, you know. So they hired us to play, and we found out we were going to the Whiteland Barn I said, "Wow, that's we thought we had a ride, you know. I at least I did because the Whiteland Barns were Chevy Checker and all these other big bands were playing, you know, Frankie Avalon and you know. And now we're going to get to play at the Whiteland Barn."
0: And Rick, I'm curious how the audiences received the music at that time, Los Latinos, because you know people who are immigrants or who are separated from the culture, you know, really long to get in touch with the music that they grew up with. I imagine people were pretty excited about what you were doing
1: yeah <laughs> there was a <coughs> everywhere we played music people loved it I mean there was not one person I don't ever remember anybody ever saying I don't like that music. nobody ever said that. everybody enjoyed the music. black people heard it they loved it they danced to it they just it was like something new to them and it was really cool and they it was just good dancing music and uh um American white Anglo people heard it, and, and they loved it, you know. I never heard anybody ever say, I don't like that kind of music. Never. I never heard it at all from nobody. Everybody loved Spanish music, and they loved dancing to it. It was something different. Dancing the to polka, to some of that stuff was really a lot of fun for some of the— um, whether you're a white person or a black person, um, when you get out there to dance— you're having fun with that kind of music, dancing the polka, uh, and uh, and especially wapangos or cumbias, people loved that. And it was just a new experience, you know. So uh, it was a new experience for a lot of people, and just to hear it and to dance to it. So yeah, they loved it. <laughs>
3: There's an old Spanish song. It's called La del Estribo. No, no, I take that back. I think it's called. Hell, I don't know what it's called. (laughs) Tu recuerdo y yo.
0: I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is Rick Espinoza. And we just heard a clip of a cassette recording of Rick performing at a house party during the 1980s. And I want to thank Ben Hill for providing me with that tape and other vintage audio clips we'll be listening to this week. After this short break, we'll hear an incredible protest song Rick wrote and recorded in the 1970s after the police killing of an unarmed Mexican-American man named Hilberto Ramos. In March of 1975, a young Mexican-American man named Hilberto Ramos was shot and killed by police in Union City, Indiana, after committing a minor traffic violation. Union City Police Chief Devon Renard the officer who killed Ramos, was acquitted of all charges. Like many Mexican-American Hoosiers, Rick Espinoza was outraged by the incident. Rick channeled his anger into a song, writing, recording, and self-releasing a 45 RPM single titled Injustice, Justice. Let's return to my conversation with Rick Espinoza.
1: And it's about a, a young Hispanic kid who ran a stop stop sign or stop light. I, I can't remember if it was stop sign or stop light. And um, a sheriff in this town in Union City, uh, Indiana, uh, opened fire on him. And, uh, I mean, how many people run a stop sign or a stop light and, and a sheriff opens fire on you, you know? And um, they chased the guy out of town and he chased him out of the state line from Mich- uh, Union City, Indiana, or uh, Ohio, into Union City, Indiana, and then he was in a country road, and he—I gra- don't know if it was gravel road—he and he lost control, and he went into a ditch, and the police was right behind him, and um, the sheriff came up to him, and and um, he ended up walking up to him, and and, and his brother, his brother. As a matter of fact, when the when the guy, Gilberto Gilbert Ramos was his name, when his brother saw him pass, he stopped. He said, police is chasing me, and he took off. And, uh, and he's shooting at me, trying to kill me, and he took off. And his brother saw the police right behind him, so he followed right behind him. So when the police caught up with him, his brother said, don't shoot him. I'll get him to come out. I'll get him to come out. And his brother went down there and told him, they're not going to shoot you. Come on, just come on out. And his brother came out, his brother came out. They told him to put his hands on the, on the hood, he put his hands on the hood, and then uh, the, when the sheriff got up to him, he, Gilbert turned around and said, go ahead, shoot me, if you're gonna shoot me, and he shot him, cold, point blank, right in, right in front of his brother. He shot him and killed him right there. And he, he said in court, because I went to the court hearings, it was here in Indianapolis, uh, he said in court that he thought he had a gun in his hand. And in the song, I sing that part, you know. And um, so um, they ended up finding, even the deputy said, that they, when the prosecutor said, was there any reason why he should have been shot? And the deputy said, there's no reason why he should have been shot. He said he didn't have no weapon on him. You know, all he had was a watch, you know. And so... Um, they found the sheriff not guilty, and that's why I wrote the song, Injustice, Justice. Hmm. So,
0: What was the reaction in the community when all this was unfolding during the, in the, from the Mexican-American community here? What, was there a lot of outrage? Was there a lot of— There was outrage, but yeah. what can
1: you do? What can you do? You know, they made the decision already. You know, uh, they, they wanted to do a march— and make a showing of Hispanic unity outside the courthouse at the time. But they said, Don't do it. Don't do it. Let the justice show you know, let the justice take its its place. we they got him dead to right. He should be found guilty. But he was found not guilty. And that's what caught everybody off guard. They were they were as probably stunned as I was that he was found not guilty. I couldn't believe it when I when I heard it, you know
0: that he was found not guilty yet. I couldn't believe it. And, and this song, Injustice, Injustice, you were just so outraged or shocked at this yeah. situation that you felt compelled to compose this song. Yes, yeah.
1: yes. And, and and I was very much into civil rights at the time. I even went marched with the black civil rights march to the governor's office. I mean, to the governor's home over on Meridian. Uh, there was like thousands of people marching down for civil rights back there, back in those days, and I marched with them. You know, all me and my black friends, and we we got together, and they were like family to me. And uh, uh, when we found out about that, they said, "Come on, let's go." I said, "Let's go, let's go," you know. So it just you had to, you know, you had to stand united and make a showing that you cared about civil rights, that you wanted civil rights, that you demanded civil rights, you know, and just
0: justice, you know,
1: because there was a lot of civil rights being neglected at that, in those
0: days. Let's listen to Rick Espinoza's song about the tragic killing of Gilberto Ramos. This is Injustice, Justice, released as Rico in the Mexican Hearts. This song is about a young
3: Mexican-American who had broken a simple traffic violation and was deprived of his civil rights by being shot at just for running a stop sign. His name was Gilberto Ramos, and he died a few minutes later after running that stop sign because the police chief that shot him down in cold blood said he thought he had a gun in his hand. It really was just a wristwatch wrapped around his wrist. Well, the police chief was taken to court, and prejudiced to say the least, 12 deaf, dumb, and blind jurors found him innocent. And it was scratched down on record as the law just doing their job. This was Injustice Justice, and that's the name of the song. They said he had a gun in his hand. So he died without going to the stand. And the chief just smiled and said, I shot him down. And he ran. God of justice isn't justice for anything. An innocent man had died. That's why I'm here to sing. And will justice will it always be this way? I guess it's sure in the hell. will if the people don't stand up and sing. Viva la vida, la tía y la raza, aquí estamos y vamos a decir. Viva la vida, la día y la raza, la vida, la día y la raza no se va a morir.
2: I'm
0: Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is Rick Espinoza, and we just heard a very rare 45 RPM single Rick released in the 1970s about the police killing of a Mexican-American Hoosier named Gilberto Ramos. During the early 1980s, Rick left Indianapolis for Corpus Christi, Texas. In Corpus Christi, Rick joined Emmett Garcia's Chicano Pride Band, a popular regional group that performed a variety of Tex-Mex and rock and roll music. Rick's memories of performing with the Chicano Pride Band are dominated by his encounters with the Mexican-American music icon, Salina. Let's return to my conversation with Rick as he recalls performing alongside Salina and her band Los Dinos.
1: I was in Texas for a while. I had a 10-piece orchestra there. Uh, We did get to meet Salina and the Dinos uh, twice. We got to play just before they went up on stage. And uh, we weren't really... uh, It wasn't no big schedule and, and advertising and promoting that uh, you know uh, the chicano pride band was going to play before the latinos or anything like that it was just something that was scheduled like an open stage at a big carnival the first time and selena was still a, a young girl it wasn't hardly known and you know we we we'd play and then selena's band would play and both when while we were both both bands played People just mingled, walked, past, passed, walked by, like, oh, some band's playing, you know. It was no big deal. And a couple years later, two, about two and a half, maybe two and a half years later, Selena had made a big name, you know, already. And, um, and we got to play at the Bay Fest in Corpus Christi. And um, we played at the Amphitheater. And um, it was like a big shell. And inside the shell is the stage. And behind the shell... Was the ocean, the beach, you know, and uh, and in front of the shell where the stage was, and it was like a big park, grassy park. It goes up to the Ocean Drive, and um, and that was thousands of people out there on that, at that time when we played there. It felt like we were stars, you know. But um, right after we finished playing, Selena's band went up there and played too, and that was that was an
0: experience I'll never never forget. In what, your group in Corpus Christi—it was called the Chicano Pride Band. Yes. Yeah. What kind yes. of music were you doing at that time? Uh, Tex-Mex. Yeah. How long did the group run out in Corpus Christi?
1: Uh, we played a couple of years. You know, just we, we even played um, on Mother's Day. We went and and serenaded, you know, on foot to to different people who paid us some good money to go and play Las Mayanitas, you know, the little Spanish Mother's Day song and uh, we'd play the horns and trumpets and the guitars and stuff and serenade and we'd sing to them like kind of like mariachi t- t style
0: but we made extra money doing that just doing our off days when we weren't working Let's listen to an excerpt of a single Rick recorded with the Chicano Pride Band released on the Disco's Supremo label This is De Dejame <laughs> had been performing music professionally for over 50 years before he had a chance to release a full-length album of his songs. But in 2018, Rick released an LP titled My Life under the name Ricky Lee. In a moment, we'll hear a track off that record titled Moving On. But first, let's return to my conversation with Rick. It was fifty years, and yeah. so you made another yeah. recording, and you made this CD, a full album, this time called My Life. Yeah, all original yeah, songs. All too. original songs. Why? Why did it take fifty years for you to follow up that single? What was? Yeah, tell me about that.
1: Surviving life, you know, surviving life. There's so many things going on, and, and uh, traveling. I was traveling. I was homeless for a while. Uh, went to Texas, and uh, I was a single parent. I had my son with me, and um, uh, his mother had kind of uh, uh, deserted us both
0: really that must have felt pretty good to you after you know 50 years to complete this first album how did yeah describe to me like yeah how that felt getting this music out
1: a relief yeah it's like finally you know but I knew even though that was a relief it like life goes on you gotta keep moving you can't stop at just that cause I'm not stopping at just that I'm working already on getting my second album done, project done.
0: I'm Kyle Long, and you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week is Rick Espinoza. We just heard a song off his 2018 album, My Life, released under the name Ricky Lee. For the last several years, Rick has been working as a certified nursing assistant. And up next, I want to share a song Rick wrote about that experience, titled Thank God I'm a CNA. But first, let's hear Rick share what inspired him to write that song? I did want to ask you about the song that you wrote about being a nurse, right? Thank God yeah. I'm a CNA. Yeah, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that song because I think this is a really remarkable piece of music, and it really touched me hearing uh, you talk about the relationship you had with these people you cared for and remembering them. And I-, I was really touched by this piece of music. So, yeah, tell me about this unique song you wrote.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I, I was missing—I'm I'm single, I live alone, and I have a little dog named— Named Elvis, he was born on my birthday. He's my only company. Uh, I've been alone, and I've d- devoted my life to caring for people and, n- and nursing care. And um, uh, and so I've spent a lot of time alone, and I never see my family, my own family, except uh, maybe on Thanksgiving or, or Christmas. And uh, and even then, um, uh, for several year a few years, I-, I was picking up on Christmas and New- uh, Thanksgiving because. That's when all the nurses and aides were, were calling in. They can't make it or don't want to or whatever. And um, so I, miss, I missed a lot of Christmases with my family, missed Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinners, you know, with my family. And then I thought about it and I said, you know, I got a new family. I realized I got a new family here. My residents that I care for. I mean, I see him every day. I take care of him. I practically live with them. Some of them are, are see me so often that they're asking me, do you live here? <laughs> They'll say, they're telling people with dementia are telling me that, I need to take a break because, because you know, my family misses me. I need, I'm i working too much. They're telling me I'm working too much, you know. So uh, I said, uh, well, you're right, you know, you're right. And then I started thinking about the people I, I take care of. I said, I've got a, I got a, a firefighter, a, a gentleman who, who used to be a firefighter, and then I've got a war hero here. Who uh, several I've met that you know from World War One, two uh, World War Two, and and uh, they're real heroes. The Battle of the Bulge, they were the Battle of the Bulge, and uh, and they went through hell, you know. And uh, and then I had a, a, a lady who was uh, two or three times, you know. There, uh, they were nurses back in the old days, and they used to take care of people, and now we're taking care of them, you know. So I wrote about them and dedicated that song to them, you know. To the people that uh, that I I cared for, you know, and I wrote that song. um, Thank God I'm a CNA because I started to realize I'm proud to be a CNA. I was proud to be a CNA, and that's why I wrote the song, you know, because it was in in their memory of the people that
0: I I cared for. Off the album My Life, this is Rick Espinoza with Thank God I'm a CNA. you're listening to Cultural Manifesto. My guest this week has been Rick Espinoza, a pioneer of Mexican American music in Indianapolis. Let's join Rick for the conclusion of our conversation. I wanted to go back to that premonition your father had of the future of Indianapolis and the proliferation of uh, uh, Mexican-American culture and business here. How do you feel now seeing this thriving community? There's such an incredible uh, culture here of uh, Mexican-American people, music. There's four or five nightclubs where you can hear live bands any day of the week. There's huge grocery stores, bakeries, everything you could imagine. Talk, reflect on these changes.
1: Well, Like I said, everything that my father told me came to be everything in detail. He told me in detail, everything, you know, he told me just all about all the businesses that are going to be there. And when I think about it, you know, it makes me proud to be, to have been my father's son because he was such an incredible person, um, You'd have to know him to see
0: what and see the things that he did. Yeah. And finally, Rick, you know, when I hear about the accomplishments and the contributions you made to culture here in Indianapolis, you know, performing with this group Los Los Latinos and representing this music and culture here in Indianapolis during the 1960s, I'm just like blown away by the how much you've contributed to the culture here do you, I think of you as a pioneer and someone who really made made an important contribution to the city. How do you feel about your legacy thus far in in art and music and in the culture of Indianapolis?
1: I've done a, I have done a lot of work. I've done a lot of work here in town and, and in art. I've sold thousands of dollars in artwork. You
0: also do visual art. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And, and um, um, I've got a huge art collection downstairs. I mean, in my house I've got a big basement and from one wall all the way down, all the way down, all the walls, all the way back. It's nothing but artwork of mine. And I've got enough for an art exhibit. And uh, and now that retired, i have retired, I want to do some more art, you know. I've got a couple of pieces that I
0: haven't even finished, and I would like to get back on it. So it sounds like you're still so busy creating, and you have so many... Uh, Plans and visions that you're still working on. That you don't reflect on the past. You're just looking forward and and creating in the moment.
1: Yeah, you know, I I saw I saw a movie, the Jacksons, about the Jackson Five, and there was a, a part in that movie where Michael Jackson was talking to his mom, and 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 he he said, "Mom, it's like it's like I have this energy of music that wants to explode, and there's so much in me that that wants to come out." And and I've got to let it out, you know. I feel the same way. I feel the same way even right now. Like, there's so much I want to do. So, sorry, did I get carried away here?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all, not at all. No, man, I appreciate you so much for coming here and sharing all these memories. And it's I'm just blown away by the history you and your family have here. It was an honor to meet you and have you here. So I'm extremely grateful for you taking time to do this today, man. Thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. appreciate it. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks to my guest, Rick Espinoza, and thank you for tuning in. I also want to give an extra big thank you to engineer Adam Gross for recording the live sessions we heard tonight. And thank you to Nicole Martinez of the Indiana Historical Society for connecting me with Rick. And finally, thank you to Ben Hill, who provided some of the rare archival audio we heard tonight. I'm Kyle Long, and you've been listening to Cultural Manifesto.